0: It is my joy and privilege to be with you. Evelyn and I have been praying much about this, asking God to guide us and help us. Many of you have been saying you've been praying for me. I appreciate that very much. I've had uh, nine reconstructive spine surgeries. I have titanium rods from top to bottom and a metal neck. And uh, the last time I was in the hospital, I was dropped out of the bed and lost the use of my left hip, a lower part of my left leg, and I have no use of my left foot. I can't even kick anybody with it. So, <clears throat> Somebody said, you're like a, a fellow with one foot in the grave. But I, I tell you, my one foot may be there, but my other foot is on a roller skate. And I plan to do all I can while I can. A 17-year-old girl left home because she'd been sexually abused by her stepfather. And uh, she had to earn her way as a 14-year-old, finally... As a 17-year-old, she was working in a restaurant and met a 42-year-old man who was roaming the country. He'd gotten out of prison when he was 27. She wanted some way out of home to a better place, and he fell in love with her. They got married. Two years later, I was born as the first child. My father was a professional gambler. That's all he did for a living. We lived in a housing project in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We'd moved 19 different times before I was a third grade age. And finally, my mother said to my dad, Preston, if you don't do something different with your life, I'm going to take these kids and go back to mama's house. And so he got a job with the Venetian Blind Company in Chattanooga. The owner of the V Blind Company was a leader at the Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga. He found out my father had young children, and so he made arrangements for all of us to ride the buses to the Highland Park Baptist Church. I was about eight years old when I started. That was my introduction to Dr. Lee Robertson and to what it meant to reach people. When I heard this testimony given by Brother Hiles, my heart was stirred that somebody would reach people. Most of the time, those of you who watch things like that are on the giving side. But many people like me were on the receiving side. And uh, I know the difference that God's people can make in one's life. I'm very grateful, very grateful. So, I'm happy to be here this day. I want to be asking God to use me. I've been a preacher of the gospel for 55 years. Some days it's in season, some days it's out of season, preaching the Bible. But in all times, one who is a gospel God-called preacher, wants to be a blessing and encouragement. The only difficulty with that is that we cannot be a blessing in our own strength. We can try, study, do all we can to prepare, but it's God by His Holy Spirit who makes us a blessing. And I'm really praying that God will make me a blessing and encouragement to you. My dear wife, is with me, we've made this journey together, not just to this meeting, but through life. We were sweethearts in high school, and uh, we just kept it going all the way through. Stephen Scoggins, whose granddaddy was a pastor at Dyer Baptist Church years ago, wanted to come up here with me for this trip, And Stephen is very happy about being here. He's a great help to me. He travels with us from place to place. And And so he's a real blessing. I want to pray with you. I want you to pray for me, would you please? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we can talk with you. And we need your help. your divine aid. We come to you giving you our weakness and we pray that thy strength would be made perfect in our weakness. Make us a blessing. Help us to encourage these dear precious people in the work they're doing for thee. We give you praise and glory for what you've raised up here. And for this pastor, your gift to them. Bless him, bless his dear wife and family. And may the greatest days of glorifying thyself through this ministry be the days that lie ahead. Now speak to us in this meeting. Guide us by thy spirit. Bring to my mind the things that need to be said. And keep from my lips the things that need not be spoken, and we shall give thee glory, all the glory. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd like for you to take the word of God, please, and turn with me to the gospel according to Luke, chapter 11. We'll begin reading with verse 1 in Luke, chapter 11, verse 1. It is our responsibility when we're in the word of God to find the emphasis that God makes and place the emphasis where God places the emphasis. It's not our message, it's his message. We're just messengers. And we want to be good deliver boys, faithful to all that God's given us to do. I'm the recipient of so many wonderful things people have taught me. My my mother maybe maybe went to the fifth grade. I don't know if my father ever went to school. He had a, as rough an upbringing as you could ever imagine. Lost his, Lost his father when he was 10, lost an eye when he was 11, lost his mother before he was 12, and finished growing up as a young person in the Alabama home for boys which he got out of when he was 16, got in trouble went to prison in the West Virginia Penitentiary, got out when he was 27, roamed the country until he met my 17-year-old mother, and they married. They didn't know anything <laughs> about having a home or the Christian faith. There were two aunts in the family who were tremendous influences on my life and prayed for me. Who were dedicated Christian women. As a matter of fact, I found out later in life that when I was born and brought into their home, because it was the only home we had to live, they prayed for me. They prayed for me to become a preacher as an infant. And when I see them in glory, I'll tell them God's answered their prayers. And I'm trying, trying to do the best at it. God allows me to do. If you have your Bible, in Luke chapter 11, begin with verse 1, we read, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray... Say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I want you to mark this expression given to us by one of the Lord's disciples as he approached the Lord Jesus. He saw Jesus praying. Evidently, they were watching him, and he was in a position they recognized that was a position of prayer. I would imagine he was either on his face praying or kneeling praying but they knew he was praying. And when he was finished praying, the Bible says one of his disciples came to him and he spoke, no doubt, for all the others and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. When I read that expression and read our Lord's response to that expression... I get greater insight into what the disciple meant. This is not a lesson on how to pray. This is a motivation to pray. And when you read it and ask God to guide you, you'll see that it's more than just an example of a prayer. It's a motivation to pray. And I imagine all of us who know the Lord, who have asked God to forgive our sin, and by faith have trusted Christ as Savior, would say, we pray. And we know just enough about prayer that we know to pray. But the thing we're lacking is not some lesson in prayer, some instruction in prayer, but the real motivation to pray. Now, I haven't lived as long as I want to live, but I've lived long enough to know that in my lifetime, I've never seen things any worse. The need has never been greater. And when we weigh the need against the laborers, we remember the Lord Jesus said, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And he was moved with compassion because he saw the people as sheep without a shepherd. And when the Lord saw that and was moved with compassion, his children are moved with compassion thinking about the great need. And we're never going to see any effective moving of God in our land without being motivated to pray. More than talking about it, Complaining about it. Learning how to talk to God and pray about it. And so, I've asked the Lord to help me just try to explain this 11th chapter of the gospel according to Luke in hopes that it'll be a blessing and encouragement to you to help this church, which is a great church, but to be a greater church. This church, which is a praying church, to be more effective with God in the subject of prayer. May God help us. When I was just a boy, my mother and father divorced. And then my mother said to me, your father has gotten religion. That was an old-fashioned way of saying it. I found out later, four years after my dad died, and we buried him, that someone had led him to Christ. And he was trying to explain that. He couldn't find the exact words, but he was trying to explain it. But he said to my mother, he wanted to take me, I'm the oldest of four children, he wanted to take me on a Saturday to be alone with him. And she agreed. I remember when he came, we lived at 114 South Houston Street, Maryville, Tennessee, on a hill, and he pulled his car up, didn't get out of the car, but I was looking anxiously out, the house, through the screen porch, and I ran as fast as I could to go with him in the car. When I got in the car, he pulled up the hill to the main road in town and turned left. He drove down 411 Highway to a place called Calderwood Highway and turned left and went through that winding road to the road T's and then took the left turn up what is called today the Dragon a curvy road, to the mountains of Fontana. When we finally got to one of those beautiful vistas overlooking the Great Smoky Mountains, he pulled the car to the side of the road, and he said, I brought you all this way to say something to you. I have been to the doctor. The doctor said, I'm not going to live, maybe a year at the most. And the doctor was accurate. He lived less than a year. And he said, son, I've wasted my entire life. I've given my whole life to the devil. He used the name devil. And I brought you all this way to get you alone, to ask you not to make the same mistake with your life that I've made with mine. I never have heard anything since then, before then or since then, that impacted me any more than what he said. Someday when I lay down this robe of flesh and soar beyond the stars and be with God, after taking a last breath here, I want to say to my father, I tried to do what you said. The way to do that is to put the emphasis in life where God puts the emphasis. And if you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, his earthly ministry, and you look at what he did as he came and lived a sinless life to pay our sin debt and heard him teach his disciples, I don't believe we're going to find anything with greater emphasis than this emphasis in the 11th chapter of Luke. Because if we can learn to be motivated to pray and talk to God, it will change everything about our lives, our homes, our churches, our witnessing. In other words, behind every change we need lies this motivation to pray. And so may God help us and give us understanding by the work of his Holy Spirit. I want you to write a few things down, because preachers should not be preaching to be heard. They should be preaching to be repeated. And so you ought to be a listener always with the word of God going out to you with the idea that what I'm hearing I'm responsible for telling someone else. So may God guide us and help us. The first thing I want you to think about with me and listen carefully to is the person to whom we pray. There's only one person to whom we're going to pray. We had a glorious privilege the other day of having a man and his wife in their 70s contact me and said, I've been watching some of your videos and we need to talk to you my wife especially to talk to you. she's been a catholic 78 years and she wants to talk to you about salvation and so i said certainly that's what i'd love to do so they came to see me the man happened to be a judge had been an attorney for 50 years and was a judge for the last 24 years and he said this meeting is not about me it's about my wife i want to be very quiet let her talk to you. And when she told me her story and told me about her sincerity in her religion, she told me all she'd done, how often she went to confession, and all the things. And I said to her, Mary, the only thing you need to understand is only one person can listen to your prayers and forgive your sin. There's only one mediator between God and man. The Bible says it's the man Christ Jesus. And that ended our conversation. I didn't know if it was going to be an abrupt ending or a good ending, but she said I need I needed that. A week later she came into our church and professed her faith in Christ and wanted to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. A week after that, her austere Judge Husband came to our church and said, I want what Mary's got. Something has changed her life. And he had been a practicing Catholic, not as devout as her, but he said, I want the genuine thing. I really want to know Jesus as my Savior. And God changed their lives. But the woman said something in response to what I said to her that God used to awaken her. There's only one person who is our mediator. Only one person who can mediate between us and God. It is the man Christ Jesus. He's the only one who paid our sin debt. And I want you to understand, when the disciples came to Jesus and one of them spoke for the rest and said, Lord, teach us to pray, they were talking to the Lord Jesus. I want you to hold your place just a moment, and I want you to turn with me to the Gospel according to John, if you would, the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to John, and listen to what the Lord says when he talks about prayer and answering prayer. The Word of God tells us in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, And whatsoever ye shall ask, In my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Why don't you ask God to help you memorize that verse 14? If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And he said, you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. We have done a thousand times more complaining than we ought to have done. And a thousand times less praying than we should have done. The person to whom we pray is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Who ever liveth to make intercession for us. He died on the cross, paid our sin debt was buried in a borrowed tomb, spent 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection, ascended to heaven where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And he is the only one we can pray to and through. He's the only one who has merit. We never earn any merit. In churches like the church I pastor, and I imagine in churches like this, we get to thinking sometimes that we have some merit with God. We've served the Lord so many years. I've been a preacher for 55 years. And you may say, I've been faithfully serving God in the church for so many years. But when it comes to prayer, we have no merit to come to God and ask God for anything. The Lord never does anything for us. Everything God does, he does for Jesus Christ. The Bible says, when it comes to looking at us, he doesn't look at us and say, "You're a worthy person. You're a meritorious person. You you deserve all of this." He looks at the Lord Jesus, and he knows the Lord Jesus paid all our sin debt. As the songwriter said, "My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more." And when the accuser comes to try to say something critical about you or me, He can't say it and be justified because Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. So we're speaking about the Lord Jesus and who we're talking to. I'm coming to him and his merit, his merit. He is worthy, and the only one who is worthy. After all these years of preaching and teaching God's word, I have no merit to bring to God. None. No merit to bring to God. All the merit belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. The person to whom we pray. The second thing I want you to write down as we look at Luke chapter 11 is the purpose of our praying. Why do you pray? John R. Rice said we pray to get things from God. We ask to receive. But let's look at what Jesus said. I love Dr. Rice. I knew Dr. Rice. I was with him in meetings. And I appreciate everything he wrote and preached. But the Bible says, in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And immediately he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, you begin with God. You begin with the greatness of God. How would be thy name? And the greater our vision of God, the more faith we're going to have to ask God for things that we cannot do, but only God can do. And so increase and enlarge your vision of God. See him for who he is. He's the eternal God. And then when we see him as God, we won't be rushing into our prayer like a dog eating food thrown before him. We think who he is and his greatness We're talking to the God of heaven and earth, the same God who spoke the world into existence. In the book of Isaiah, let me give you these verses. In Isaiah chapter 45, the word of God says, I'd like you to write this down. Tell ye, verse 21, bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together and declare this from ancient time, who have told it from that time. Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. The Bible says in chapter 46 and verse 8, Remember this, and show yourselves men, bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God. And there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. You see, we're talking to God. We'd rather talk about things than talk to God because we're not motivated to talk to God. We're more motivated to tell Susie, or Judy, or Mary, or Bill, how much trouble we're having, what's going on. But we have the opportunity. God has made a way. The Lord Jesus has paid in his own precious blood for us to have the right to go to God, directly to God, straight to the Lord, to the one mediator between God and man. And when we're praying to him, we pray for this purpose. This is the purpose. He said, When we pray, we pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. As in heaven, so on earth. So Jesus said, the reason we pray, the purpose of our prayer life, is to change us. To transform us. To have the mind of Christ. To want what God wants. To desire what God desires for us. This transforming work is the work the Lord Jesus wants to do in us. What is it? That his will be done. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. As in heaven, so on earth. We want exactly what the Lord wants. And we want his will to be done in our lives. Is to transform us. It's not to try to ask for bigger things, better things, larger things, but it's the dynamic work the Spirit of God does on us to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ, to transform us to His will. I wish I had the words. I wish I had the ability. I don't. I wish I had whatever it takes to convince you of this, as God has convinced me of this, because my prayer... And prayer life is so selfish. I want what I want. I want when I want it. I want it done the way I want it done. I've already decided how God ought to do it. And so I'm praying for that to happen. But that's not what we're to do. We're to approach a thrice holy God, a great God, the God of all gods, the only true and living God, to speak to Him. And we have a right to go into the throne room and speak to God. And when we speak to him, we speak to him that he will change our hearts, our lives. That our will will be his will. His way will become our way. His mission will become our mission. This is what prayer is about. Now the Lord said this to his disciples when they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Then I want to give you the third thing, and this is where I really want to spend some time. First, I said, the person to whom we pray. Secondly, I said, the purpose of our prayer. But the third thing is what most of this lesson that Jesus gave is about. And it is the power of nothing. Would you write that down? The power of nothing. We're accumulators. We want to pile it up. But he said unto them, verse 5, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey. It's come to me. And I have nothing to set before him. Not something, not a little, but nothing. I say the power of nothing. You see, we we think we've got some little something, some ability, some education, some manipulative skills. We've got some way to get there. We've got something we can do. But the Lord Jesus said, you want me to teach you to pray? And I can imagine he's looking in the faces of the disciples and when he looks at them, and he gets to this point. They had to think again and again, do I really want to learn? Do I want to be brought to nothing? I have nothing. Would you mark that? I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall say, trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And most of the time when we're teaching on this lesson, we want to stop right there with importunity. And we say, with well, importunity, he just kept knocking and he, he just stayed at it. He stayed at it till he got an answer from God. But there's a bigger question to ask. What created the opportunity? What made him stay at it? What got him to knock and keep on knocking, to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking? He had nothing. Have you ever been brought to nothing? Very few people have a time in their life when they're brought to nothing. Maybe one of your children gets so wayward And you've talked and talked and talked and told everything you could tell, used every convincing argument you ever could possibly use, but still doesn't work. But your heart is broken. Why does God allow that to happen? Why? Haven't you tried to do the best you can? Well, why does God allow this to happen? Because he's not just working on that child. He's working on you and bringing you to nothing. You see, you're never going to be praying like you ought to pray, and I'm never going to be praying like I ought to pray until we are brought to nothing and have the grip of nothing, the power of nothing working in our lives. Our churches, we think our churches just need to be improved some way or another. And we can do more of this. There's much more we can do. I, I don't know what God uses on you. I know some of the things God uses on me. When I first started out as a preacher, I thought you had to be a decathlon athlete to serve the Lord. And I became really disturbed when my body started collapsing. When I had one spine surgery after another, when I walked into a doctor's office, he said, you've got the worst spine of any person that's ever been in our spine institute, and they traveled all the world to see us. We can't do one surgery on you. We'll have to work on you maybe as long as 25 years. Maybe every year, 18 months, having one more surgery, one more surgery, till finally they climbed my spine from top to bottom. The last surgery was for 13 days in the hospital, and everything that went wrong Everything went wrong that could go wrong, let me put it that way. And uh, finally the doctor walked in and threw up his hands. And uh, my wife and I were thinking, it's all over. I'd already heard a doctor say to me, your ministry's ended. You'll be on so much pain medicine, you cannot live. You can't function anymore. And, I, and God made me allergic to pain medicine. I cannot take any narcotic, and never have been able to. So in all those surgeries, I couldn't take a thing, just trying to bear the pain and deal with it. I say, what is God doing? I don't know what God's using in your life, but you want to say, what's God doing in my life? Why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to me? Because it's God's purpose, if he's going to help you to be able to pray, to bring you to nothing. The man said, I'm knocking at the door because someone's come to see me, and he's hungry, and he needs food. And I have nothing. I have nothing. And finally, you and I have to be brought to the place where we recognize we have nothing to give this needy world. Nothing. Nothing. He said, oh, oh, I don't understand that. I, No, no, we have nothing. Everything we give them that they truly need, we have to get from God. And when we get it from God, we got it from God because we realized we had nothing in our own self and own power to give them. This is a prayer lesson on being motivated to pray. We're too strong for these things. We've got too much knowledge. We're people who think they can work it out some way. I'll get out of this. That's what sinners do sinners get involved in something and before long they find on their deeper their own in deeper than they ever thought and they got to manipulate this and move this and challenge this it's to their own ingenuity they think I've got a way to get out of this and all the while God with tears is working to bring that person to nothing nothing in my hand i bring simply to thy cross i cling And what God wants to do with his children is motivate them to become totally dependent or as dependent upon God as is humanly possible. And the big battle we fight is the dependence on self. The way we want to hold on to something and try it. I wish I could Say it better than I'm saying it. But the person to whom we pray is God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe they're co-equal, co eternally existent. God the Son is no less God than God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But he humbled himself, became a man to accomplish God's purpose, to die on the cross for our sin. He said to his disciples before his death, when I die, it's expedient for you that I die and go away. It's in your best interest. They didn't understand that. But it's in your best interest because God the Spirit is going to come to comfort you and live within you. I could say to one of you, go east and another go west and go south. I can't go with you all those ways in this flesh, but the Holy Spirit can go with you. And he's co-equal, co-existent, eternally existent with God the Father and God the Son. And the Holy Spirit is working our lives now. And you think, what's going on when God wants to use someone? They have a great separating experience, C.S. Schofield said. Every person that's truly used of God has that great separating experience, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Well, what is it? It's separating us from ourselves, from this awful enemy of dependence on self, casting ourselves entirely at the feet of Jesus. This church, this church is renowned for what they've done. And I thank God for it. It's renowned for the activity, and I thank God for it but we'll be able to do more for the Lord work because of what he's done for us Amen. than we can do without him. Now think about it. Till we finally get to the point we say we serve God because of what he's done, not in order to get something from him. The work of prayer is to bring us to ourselves, to transform us, to be people who care more about his will than our will who care more about His glory than our own glory, who want Him to be magnified more than we want to be magnified. We are evil creatures. The sin nature actually wants to be called on and recognized and singled out. We love having our names lifted up. But Jesus wants us to die to self so that only His name is lifted up. So He brings us... Using the power of nothing, think of how God works. Let me read something to you. Hold your place, and turn with me to the book of First Corinthians, just a moment. In First Corinthians, the Bible tells us in the first chapter, in verse 26: For you see, your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Doesn't say not any, but not many. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, Notice, please, and things which are not. How how, how does that happen? Things which are not. People say, if I could just find one great speaker, one great preacher, one great soul winner. God says, no, if you can just lift up the Lord Jesus and make greatness out of him. He uses the things that are not. And what does he do? To bring to naught things that are. Why does he do that way? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, I'm a foolish person. I should be a wise person. I like for people to know what I've done. I'd like for people to know about our church. I'd like for people to know about our schools. And sometimes I can be so overcome by that, in conversations, I make that conversation to my friends and peers. But the Lord's never pleased with that. Doesn't He know? I remember when I finished college University of Tennessee and went to seminary, and I was telling people I'd been a pastor seven and a half years and told them what I knew and what I'd been doing and what I could do. And Dr. Wyman Porter, a distinguished professor in the seminary, said to me, Clarence, don't you know God knows everything you've done? Don't you know God knows what you've accomplished? And all the things that you want people to know about what you're able to do, The Lord will finally reveal that to people in His time when He can get the glory and you don't get the glory. I'm saying to you in one way and another way and another way, Jesus uses the power of nothing. Can you imagine these disciples saying to Jesus, Teach us to pray? And the Lord is teaching now and He's gotten so deeply involved in this lesson. He says, Are you willing? Are you willing to face need? And recognize you have nothing to meet that need. Someone comes to your door in the middle of the night, wants something to eat, and you have nothing to put before them, and you knock on someone's door because you have nothing. God uses the power of nothing to motivate us to pray. And this has to become a personal thing. I can't come to nothing for you. You can't come to nothing for me. But when you come to nothing, and I come to nothing, and we know the need is still there, all we have left, all we have left, is God. That's what prayer is about. And look what happens. We begin to ask God for God. Not things, but for God. The Lord Jesus continues his lesson. Listen to it. He says in verse 11 If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask for a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then being evil, and he's saying this to his disciples, the best men on earth. Are you willing to admit you're evil? If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly father? Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. In other words, God wants to give us so much more than we ever imagined. This is what the apostle was teaching when he wrote the church in Ephesus. More, we can think of it, we can imagine it. But the Bible says in the third chapter of Ephesians, Begin in verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. We have just began to think of tapping the real resource. and It's the Lord. It's the Lord. So we back up. For the disciples. And they're talking. One of them gets enough nerve. To go to Jesus. He just finished praying. And he said Lord. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And Jesus Started the instruction. Remember the person to whom you're praying. You can't even speak with God except through the Lord Jesus, because He's the only one who has merit to approach God the Father. All the forgiving that God has done, He's not done for you. He doesn't look at Clarence and say, "Oh, poor pitiful guy, I'm going to help him." No, He looks at Jesus and says, "He's worthy." So for Christ's sake, he forgave me. He teaches us the real purpose in prayer is not to argue with God and try to win out the argument. The real purpose in prayer is to bring me around to my will is now surrendered to his will. His way is my way. His mission is Is my mission. He knows, he knows what everyone needs, and I'm to know what everyone needs as I yield to Him. May God help me. And then He gives me the hard lesson. You want to pray. You really want to pray? First Baptist Church in Hammond, you want to pray, then God will bring you to nothing. And many times we waste our nothing experiences because we keep grabbing at something, some way. We're going to press through it some way. Somehow we're going to make it. Well, God wants to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we have nothing without him. And then when we have nothing, we know, Lord, if you don't supply any and all the supply, we won't be able to meet the need. My wife and I graduated from high school together. I walked into the high school when I was a freshman and the principal met my mother and me. Everywhere I went, my mother took us, you know. I was raised by my mother. And uh, my Mother stood before the principal with my brother and myself and said, Mrs. Sexton, he said, Mrs. Sexton, do you, have, do you have the responsibility of raising these children by yourself? What a kind way. He could have said, are you divorced? Has your home been wrecked? No, but he said, do you have the responsibility of raising these children by yourself? And I looked at my mother and she said, yes. And Mr. Davis, Robert Davis, God bless him, he was a deacon in a Baptist church, he said, I'm going to help you. Uh, Don't get so moved because when a principal of a high school says he's going to help your mother, he has a lot of things in mind. So when I started getting into any trouble, he jumped in. As a matter of fact, he said to me one day, Clarence, when school is out, you're going to be in my office. I said, Mr. Davis... I need to be where all the action is. We have a snack bar and everybody goes there. He said, when school is out and the bell rings, finally the day is over, you're coming straight to my office if you want to stay in school. And so Monday, I reported to his office. And he had the audacity to sit me down right in his office and say nothing to me till the day had passed about a half an hour or so. By then, all the action was gone. All my friends I got in trouble with had left. All the buses had left. And then he looked at me and said, you may go. The next day, same thing. I reported, same routine. I sat there, nothing. When everything was over, he turned and said, you may go. This went on not for a week, but for two solid weeks, to the end of the second week. And he said to me at the end of the second week, Clarence, you may go. And I got up to leave. I'd learned just to sit quietly. And he said, when I got to the door, he said, son, let me tell you something. God has something for your life. That was the first time any man like that had said something like that to me. I finally graduated from high school. I can tell you about my ball playing and tell you I was, I, and I was great. I was, I'm greater the older I get, the greater I was. <laughs> the records and all that are in the newspapers. But anyway, I was out of high school for 20 years and we had our high school reunion. My wife and I decided we'd make the journey from 700 miles in Patterson, New Jersey, 11 miles from New York City, where I was pastoring a church, to go to our high school reunion. But we were going to plan to see Mr. Davis, our high school principal. Mr. Davis was no longer the high school principal. He's now the county mayor. They called him the county executive. So we found the courthouse where his office was. We climbed the steps and went to the place where we could find him. They Showed us the way to his office. We came to the office entrance and a receptionist said, Clarence, Evelyn, Mr. Davis is waiting for you. Just go right on in. I remember that day, don't you, honey? We walked in. He said, Come here, son. Twenty years after I graduated from high school. Twenty years. He said, Come in. I want you to come around behind my desk, big, long, executive office desk. I want you to have a seat at my desk. So I made my way around. He said, sit down in my chair. I sat down in his chair. He said, now, I want you to turn and look to your right. And there, to my right, on the wall, was my picture. And he said, I want you to know something. I have prayed for you every day since the day we met that God would accomplish his purpose in your life. I'm going to tell you something. I have nice things said about me and sometimes to me. that no one could do any more for me than what you could do for others in prayer. God is the God of heaven and earth who hears and answers our prayers. But we really don't talk to him and seek him till we experience the power of nothing. Let's bow and pray together.